I, I'm on an assignment this morning. I need you to tell you, God's coming for you this morning. The Lord's coming for you. You came here not by accident, but by divine appointment from God. Some of you don't even know why you're exactly you're here this morning, but it's because God orchestrated you to be here this morning because he's coming for you. Today, God's going to apprehend some people in the room today. He's coming for He's coming for those that have been away from him. He's coming for those that thought they were with him, but they really weren't. He's coming today for people that are lost and know they're lost. He's coming for people that are lost and don't even know they're actually lost. He's coming for the religiously lost this morning, and he's coming for the prodigals. So turn your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 15 this morning. I'm pretty bold when it comes to telling you what I know God says, so he's coming for you this morning. And listen, it's hard to fight against God. We talk about how hard it is to get people to Jesus. Let me tell you, that's the opposite of what the Bible really says. Because when 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 God manifested to Saul, who was a Christian killer, who would eventually become the Apostle Paul, the Bible says that when God appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he told Saul, he said, and this was before he, he was called Paul, he said, it's hard to kick against. One translation says the pricks, another says goads. But if you understand what that is, that's spikes that were behind the oxen's legs so that when the oxen would try to kick back at the plowman, his legs would hit those spikes and it was bloody and painful to the animal to be able to kick against what they were supposed to be doing because they were trained to pull the plows. They were trained to do a job and, and when they fought against what they were what they were, what they were really created for, God created them for, for that purpose and people don't get an understanding to that. We wouldn't have what we have today if not for those animals doing what they do. So that was their assignment. You understand that was their assignment. Every one of you in this room, I don't care who you are, where you came from, you have a call according to the assignment of God. God called you in the scripture according to his own purpose for your life. The problem is you're unaware of that. You just don't know it yet. And for you to fight against what God created you for, it's going to be a painful, bloody event for you to fight against God. Some people talk about, well, I've been running from the Lord. Well, for me to run from the Lord was one of the most painful experiences I've ever been through in my life. Matter of fact, it'll cause you to end up in the belly of a big fish and possibly with seaweed wrapped around your neck. It's hard to fight against God. You can run from church, but it's hard to fight against God because God will go home with you. God will visit you in the bar and the club. He'll show up with you and your needle in your arm. He'll show up at 3 o'clock in the morning when you don't even know where you are or how you got there. God doesn't leave you alone. He searches for you until he finds you. And I just want to go ahead and lay the foundation this morning. Some of you, you might as well give up and quit running because God's coming for you. And it's going to be a painful event for you to keep fighting against God when the best days of your life are actually in God. When I got born again in 1990, I thought I was living it up. I thought the good life was being down searching for a rock of cocaine that flew off the mirror in the nap of the carpet in my automobile because I had spent all my money and three weeks worth of paychecks on dope and I have 
run out and I'm looking for little rocks of white cocaine that had fallen off the mirror in the nap of my carpet. And when I would find one of those rocks of cocaine, they're just tiny, just a little speck. Could have been dog poo. I don't know. But it was white and I needed some more cocaine. Does anybody in here know what it's like to come out of a life of addiction besides me? A life when you thought that living it up and putting a needle in your arm and drinking till you were inebriated was actually the real life that the devil had you so convinced that life was how many people you could sleep with and how much dope you can do and how much alcohol you could drink and how rebellious you could become and you thought this is the good life. I thought the good life was finding that rock and smearing it on my teeth so I could just get another taste of that cocaine. But the devil is a liar. One day God woke me up and I realized, man, that that life that was killing me that I thought was so good was actually not God's very best for me because I got to taste that the Lord is good. I got to be made a partaker of the Holy Spirit and I was like, when I got saved, why didn't somebody tell me how great God is? I'm like, why didn't somebody tell me about this miracle of being born again? I'm like, why did the church lie to me and convince me that being a Christian was singing dead songs and looking like you had been baptized in persimmon juice? Are y'all with me? I mean, people, it was like, oh, God, it's so hard. I don't know how you grew up, but when I went to church, it was like we got whippings every time we went home because you couldn't say nothing, you couldn't speak, you couldn't do nothing. There was no joy there. Everybody there looked angry. Not to mention they had to put a stinking tie on me every time I went to church, and I'm just four years old. Y'all, y'all not hear me. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then listen, and everybody's like, Shh, and everybody's looking at you, and everybody's like, and then you get older, and you go to church, and you walk in, and you feel like, oh, my God, I'm in the chosen frozen, and you're looking around, and, and you know, all they're talking about is, you know, you're, you're going to go to hell, and all they're talking about is the conflicts and the problems, and, and then somebody gets up and says, well, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and it's just so hard. And I'm thinking, who wants to serve a God that it's that hard to live for? Boy, I wish I could preach in here today. Do you understand? But I got born again, and it wasn't about me changing. It was about God changing me, changing my perception, giving me that glorious miracle of regeneration. And now living for God is the greatest joy of my life. There is joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's peace that passes all understanding. Are there storms? You bet you they are. Are there valleys? Yes, and they're deep. But I guarantee you, I'll walk through hell with Jesus than I would to walk through heaven without him because my life is not just in the promises he's given me but the life is in the presence that abides in me Woo, I wanna, I wanna, I'm sorry I started preaching before I read my text but Luke chapter 15 I get excited about salvation if you can't tell I get excited because people don't know how great walking with God is is there attacks of the devil yes but they're already fixed fights because Jesus destroyed the works of the devil I get to walk in the storms that everybody else walks through in life saved or not but the difference is my storms are already fixed and won 
I walk through life with the confidence of knowing that God has my steps prepared for me. That my seasons have already been ordained by God. And knowing this, that if God's for me, nobody can be against me. I live my life in victory because I know who is in the middle of every season of my life that I walk through. There can't be anything better than that. There can't be anything better than the joy that God gives us. Because the joy that God gives you is not circumstantial. The joy that God gives you is a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. In other words, it's inexpressive. You can't explain it. You know why you can't explain it? Because it's not circumstantial joy. It's a joy that when you're in the middle of the storms and the conflicts of life, you've still got a dance in your step. You've still got a joy that makes you want to get up and do something because the joy comes from Him and not everything else around you. See, peace in the world is circumstantial. It's determined by your friendships, how well your marriage is, how's the kids doing, is my money okay? But peace that God gives is peace that passes understanding. In other words, I can't even comprehend it because even when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear no evil because there's a peace that came from God that set everything around me shaking, everything around me gyrating, everything around me might be crumbling, but I got a peace, honey, because I know He's my rock and I know He's my fortress. There ain't no life outside of life in Christ. And I listen, when I got saved, I was like, I got ripped off. I got chipped from religion. Religion taught me that, that God was, 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 was like out of some version of something completely contrary to the Bible. Hello, and his representatives in the world I grew up in didn't represent him like he really is. Quit judging God based upon what people have presented Him to be. But we're coming into an hour and a season where God has a people that host His nature and host His attributes well. That when you see them, you get to see the life and the joy of who God really is. Woo, aren't you glad you're a part of that generation? That we are His ambassadors and we're doing it well. Amen? That we represent Him well. That we are not victims, but we are more than conquerors. Come on, we're not victims. We are victorious. Come on, we're, listen, we're not wounded. We are healed. We're not bound. We are free. We are not the walking wounded. We are the walking liberated and free. My God, God is not just a testimony of the one who shall be, but God is the testimony of our lives is that our God is a present help in a time of trouble. That the testimony of the God we serve is the God of the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That even when I'm in the fiery furnace, I am not there alone. And the enemy may have thrown me in there bound. But because of the one who's with me in what should have killed me, freed me, and has me up walking around. Wow. I just think I might give an altar call. I just, people don't know how great God is because they have seen a version of religion and that version of religion is a poor representation of who Jesus really is. 
And here's the amazing thing about God. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. The Bible said, Then drew near unto him all. Everybody say all. all. Say it again, all. all. The publicans and sinners. Everybody say sinners. sinners. Didn't say some of them. Didn't say a few of them. It said all of them. <coughs> I want you to think about church as we know it. And I want you to think about this verse of Scripture. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. We can't beg people to hear our sermons. But Jesus couldn't keep sinners away. Oh my. I'm going to say it again. We can't beg sinners to come to church. We got we to gotta manipulate them with a free TV. Come on, we got to give a car away. Come on, we got to bring Bozo the Clown. We got to sing secular music. Are y'all with me today? And we all do it in the name of getting sinners in the church, right? And listen, we, we, we try to get them there for special occasions. We, we, we build all these enormous events in the church to try to get people in the building. But yet Jesus attracted sinners, church, sinners, publicans, the worst of the off-scourge of humanity. And they were drawn to him. And here's the deal. They were drawn to hear, to hear him do what I'm doing right now, preach. They, they wanted to hear what he had to say. There must have been something different in the life of Jesus than in what's in the life of the church in the 21st century. There must be something he was doing that we've not done. And here's the bottom line. Jesus did it differently than they did it. Jesus never condoned sin. Jesus, as a matter of fact, people think, well, if we don't talk about sin, sinners will come. Well, that's a lie. Because Jesus talked about people's sin. I heard a very popular preacher say on Katie Couric one time that God very rarely ever preached about or addressed moral issues. And I thought, what Bible is this idiot reading? <laughs> Excuse me, I don't normally call people that, but when you we represent thousands of people in Christianity and you say God very rarely addresses morals, what Jesus are you talking about? Because there was a sinner woman in John chapter 4 that approached Jesus at a well, or that Jesus went to meet at a well. She didn't approach him. He approached her, waited on her, had a divine appointment with her, just like he has with you today. And the amazing thing about that journey was is that when Jesus began to talk to her, he asked her for a drink of water. You've got to understand something. For a Jew to ask a Samaritan woman for a drink was, was really a violation of, of, of ethics and principles for that, for that nationality. That religion. You understand there was prejudice in that society like there is today. Hello, racism, if you want to call it that. And, and she was astonished that he would ask her for a drink. But maybe that's, a, that's an attribute that Jesus had that we don't have today, that he is asking us for something. Maybe, maybe the problem is in the culture we live in today, we bring people into the church on the concept is come in here and get something from God instead of the concept that God is wanting something from you. 
that God has a purpose and an assignment for your life that if you came here today you can find meaning and a reason to live that you as broken as you may be or as messed up as you may be he is needing something from you my God if he could have need of a donkey he can have need of me if he can have a need of a, of a donkey that is unbroken and untamed, maybe he could possibly need you as unbroken and untamed as you might be. Are y'all with me today? God has need of people. He chose us. He loves us. And He's called us to a divine purpose. And He asked the lady for a drink. She didn't understand it. But then He said to the woman, If you knew who I was... If you would have known me, you would have asked me for a drink. Uh-oh. He switches the tie. He said, if you just knew me, you would ask me for a drink. See, the problem is he had to go to her because she didn't know him. He said, if you would have asked of me, I would have given you living water. And if I would have given you my living water, you would have never have thirst again. Now, the Bible says that she began to, the way we all do, she began to contradict the invitation of drinking the living water by, by acknowledging that you Jews worship in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans, we worship on this mountain. Listen, our father Jacob, she's got a religious lineage, gave us this well. Are you bigger or better than Jacob is? That you can give me a better water than's in this well? And all of a sudden, in the middle of all of her religious arguments, and I translated that last night, when, when she told him, we worship on this mountain, y'all worship on that mountain, when she talked about, listen, Jacob gave our father Jacob, attached her back to the lineage of the covenant. When she talked about this religious jargon, it was today in the 21st century, like when somebody asks you, do you know who he really is? You go, well, I'm a Baptist, have been all my life. I'm a Methodist. I grew up a Methodist. I've been a Christian all my life. Really? Maybe you've just been religious all your life. Maybe you know the principles, but you don't know who He is. Because if you knew who He was, you would be asking of Him. If you knew who He was, you wouldn't have to be begged to come to church. If you knew who He was, you wouldn't have to be provoked unto worship. If you knew who He was, you would pursue Him with everything that is on the inside of you. Because if you knew who he was, you would know that he came to give you living water. You would know that he's a lily of every valley you walk through. You would know that he's strength in the midst of your weakness, comfort when you mourn, that he is the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that he's the author and the finisher of my faith. And God will never leave me in the middle somewhere, but God will finish what he starts in me. See, if you knew who he was... You would know he's an answer to every problem you face in life. You would know that, that his word is a lamp unto your feet and nobody would have to beg you to get a word from God. Right. Woo! Somebody say if we knew it. We would be asking him. We would be in pursuit of him. That's why sinners were in pursuit of him. Because the testimony of who he was. Can I give you another illustration? Now, I was addressing the part about Jesus dealing with people's sins. But Jesus looks at this woman now. Now she's hungry and asks him for a drink. He gives her the revelation of who he is. She said, well, i got a house some of that water. 
See, that's the way we all ought to be. Jesus, I got to have some of that water. If you can change me, I need some of that water. If you can deliver me, I need some of that water. If you can be my breakthrough, I need some of that water. If you can get me out of a lifestyle of addiction, I need that water. If you can get me out of dysfunction and brokenness, I need that water. If you can heal my wounded heart and wounded spirit from the abuse and the abandonment and the molestation and the rapes that we've gone through, I need that water. Are you hearing me? And the Bible says that he told her when she said, I want some of that water, she said, go get your husband. In other words, before you can drink, i got to deal with your junk. <laughs> go get your husband. Oh, well, I, uh, I don't have one. Well, you said you, you've answered correctly. You've had five. Oh, by the way, that guy you're living with, he ain't your husband. In other words, Jesus confronted her sins. And see, we have a culture today that thinks if we confront people about their brokenness or their sins or their dysfunction, that, that we're going to drive them away from God. But it didn't drive her away from God. Because Jesus didn't just offer her condemnation. He didn't just offer her conviction. He offered her the power for her life to be changed. So that she could come out of this, of this cycle that she was stuck in. Of going from man to man and marriage to marriage. Trying to fulfill the voids and the empty places in her life. And the truth is what she was missing was drinking from the living water. Where that she could take that water pot that she dipped in that well that didn't satisfy her all of her life. She dipped in the well of broken relationships, trying to feel whole, trying to feel fulfilled. The same way that we dip into the wells of addiction and the wells of the worldly pleasure. But they always leave us empty and dry and more broken and more dysfunctional than we ever were. But when we drink of the living water, we can be like the woman at the well we can throw that water pot down and run through a city and talk about I met a man my God Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost man there should be an excitement in the life of every person that met him and drink of the living water let me tell you about a man wow let me tell you about this man I met at the well a while ago. He delivered me from this dysfunction. He delivered me from the brokenness. He delivered me from the addictions. Wow, where is that testimony among the church? Guys, I'll never forget my dad on his dying deathbed. My dad, when I got saved, hated me. Because I represented the light of God. The same way my brother did when he got saved and witnessed to me. <laughs> Which brings me to actually a point. There's four kind of sinners that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 15. And I'll do this quickly. He talks about a sheep that went astray. And he talks about a coin that's lost. And he talks about a prodigal son that walked away. And then he talks about a religious son that was indifferent and lost. And I'll tell you, explain that a little bit in a minute. But in all 
four of these cases, God never gave up on any of them. Are you with me? To a, a sheep that is going astray, when a sheep walks away from a shepherd, that sheep knows it's lost. Because that sheep needed a shepherd to lead him beside the still waters. A shepherd leads them to the green pastures. Are you with me? A shepherd protects them from the wolves. Remember David's testimony before he killed Goliath? I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion. In other words, he did that in protecting the sheep. But when somebody's lost and they're like a sheep, they know they're lost. They know that they're in, the, they're in danger. They know that they're unfulfilled. They know that they're unsatisfied. That something is actually missing in their life. They know there's an absence of somebody who has their tomorrows in their hands. Who's somebody that loves them enough to protect them and shield them and lead them so that their life is led to the purposes that God has for them. They are lost and they know they're lost. And the good thing about God is, is if you're lost, God ain't giving up on you. Religion gives up on you. People give up on you. And even sometimes family gives up on you. But the Bible said God searched for that lost sheep until he found it. And I got news for you. God ain't going to quit searching for you. God's not going to quit looking for you. He is hot on your trail. And you can run baby but you can't hide. He's going to find you. And the fact is, is when he found that lost sheep, he picked it up, put it on his shoulders, and carried it home. What most people don't know about the gospel is God didn't ask you to change. God asked you to repent. God didn't ask you to change. God asked you to repent. Most people don't come to God because they don't think they can live for God. And the truth is, you can't live for God. But God can live through you. Oh... I need to say that one more time. You can't live for God, but God can live through you. And if you understand the new covenant, Jesus' blood was shed so that God could live His life through you. <laughs> he died on the cross for you to become the habitation of an almighty God. The God who spoke and created the heavens and the earth. If God created the complexity of humanity with a word from His mouth, God can give you the power and the hunger and the strength and the desire to live a life that honors Him. Woo! So understanding, He finds the sheep, picks it up. And does for the sheep what the sheep could have never done for itself. Are you with me? And then there's a coin. The coin's a different story. The coin is lost, but it's an inanimate object. And the coin don't know they're lost. They think where they are is normal. They think living in darkness is normal. They think the life of, of addiction and the life of sin and the life of whatever the morality of culture sets is normal. It makes sense to their mindset. Listen, hear me. Sinners do what sinners do. Why are you shocked by that? We find it repulsive. But sinners do what sinners do. They don't feel like you feel. 
You got the Holy Ghost and they don't. That's why Jesus said don't judge those outside the church the way you judge those inside. Oh boy, that's another sermon. Uh Uh-oh. We won't go there today. So, Jesus said I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. He didn't say that concerning church people that are born again. He said that concerning sinners. Because you don't approach a sinner the way you approach a church member. Hello, somebody. Or a real follower of Jesus. Because they don't have the Holy Ghost. They're lost and don't know they're lost. And the only way they'll ever know that they are lost is if you turn the light on. See, you got to reveal Christ. He is the light that is on the inside of us. you got to turn on the light and you can't turn it down. Listen, those of you in this room that's got false, that lost family members, quit turning down the light to make them feel comfortable in their sin. You got to turn on Christ. Don't hide who you are. Don't hide your conviction. Don't hide the word of God from them. Don't hide the truth from them. Get your broom out and turn the light on at its highest level and sweep until you find them. Because that's what God does. They'll never know that they're lost unless you demonstrate the life and the truth and the righteousness of God. Hello, the Bible even calls the law the, 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 the taskmaster. Hello? It's for the purpose of showing people they have a need for God. Mm. If you turn the light down, church, they'll never get saved. If you make sinners feel comfortable. And listen, I know people that, listen, they'll cuss in front of other people just because, don't you cuss. Don't you change your behavior. Don't you change your conviction because you don't want people to feel uncomfortable in your presence. Listen, if you're around me, you ought to know I don't use God's name in vain. You ought to know that profanity ain't an everyday part of my life. You should know that these certain things, we don't do that. Because the light is what draws them. If they don't want to change, they're going to hate you. Uh Uh-oh. If they don't want to change, they're getting angry with you. Which was the story I started about my brother that got saved. My brother got radically saved and started ministering to all of us. He started telling us about Jesus and all of this stuff. And we're like, man, what a cult brainwashed you. Because we're all Christians, right? By confession. Oh, we believed in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I've been sprinkled as a Methodist and baptized as a Baptist. I'm not knocking any of that. I'm just telling you I was religious. My goodness, we went to church every Easter and every every Christmas. And we went sometimes in between. Every day of my life, I watched my dad every Sunday morning. I watched my dad sit in his recliner and write tithe checks to the church. He didn't go, but he wrote tithe checks. And he put them in the mail every Sunday, faithfully. My dad died a millionaire, by the way. Multi. That may not mean anything to you, but it does to me because I know the Word of God. It means when you honor God's principles, God's honors it, even if you ain't got the right heart behind it. Woo. God honors His Word. And I watched my dad religiously write checks. And my brother started witnessing us, and we were like, what a cult did you join? Who brainwashed you? Why you got to carry your Bible everywhere? Why you always got to be talking about Jesus? I hated him. 
My brother, I loved him up until he got saved, and I hated him. My whole desire was eventually because he kept telling me, Lance, if you keep running up and down that lake in that bass boat, doing all that, we called it crank back then. They call it meth today. But I, he said, you're running up down the lake, snorting all that crank and, and cocaine. He said, little brother, you're going to go to hell if you don't change. And I, oh, it made me mad. I mean, I wanted to fist fight every time he opened his mouth about Jesus until one day he pushed it to the point that it made me so angry. We owned a tire company, and I grabbed up a hubcap hammer. If you know what that is, it has a big rubber ball on one end and a huge hook, steel hook on the other, and I grabbed it up, and I went after him. And if I could have caught him, I would have cracked his skull and killed him graveyard dead. But I thank God he's a little man and could run a whole lot faster than me. <laughs> So I'm here preaching to you today instead of being in the prison for killing my brother. But it, my point being is I was angry. I was so angry. And even my dad, before he died, he, he got radically saved. And he became my best friend and my greatest supporter. But before he died, he, he got caught up in a relationship that pulled him away from his intimacy with God. And I'll never forget that my dad told me, Right before he died, he said, son, he said, you need to quit talking about your testimony. You need to quit telling people about your past. You need to quit telling people about the stuff you've come through. They don't need to hear all that stuff. And I thought, dad, where is this coming from? My testimony is the greatest testimony of who God is. See, when you walk with God, you got a testimony that you can't put a lid on. You got a testimony of how real He is in your life, of the joy that He's brought you, of where He's brought you from, and where He's brought you to. Where is the testimony in the church that cannot be silenced? That I met a man, church, that has been my friend that stuck closer than a brother. That when my family walked out on me, he didn't leave me. That when people rejected me, he comforted me and became my way maker where there was not a way. That he's became my great physician that healed my body. That he's become my counselor that put me in my right mind. Can I preach in here today, church? Where's the testimony that this is what happens when you drink the living water? Can I tell you, don't you turn the light off. The testimony of who He is is that light that's going to bring those lost that don't know they're lost into the kingdom. How will you know what He came to do and what He can do in your life if we stay silent, church? I'm going to wrap this up quickly, but I want to talk about two more things. I want to talk about a woman that ran into Simon the Pharisee's house. Simon was a judgmental, critical, cynical, anti-Christ, religious spirit. Bad person. And he invited Jesus to his house. And he had all of his religious buddies there. Jesus comes into the house and I think that he probably treated Jesus the same way we treat God on Sunday mornings. We acknowledge He's there, but we don't worship Him for who He is. Because if we knew who He was, we would do what the 24 elders do. We would throw our crowns down and cry, holy, holy, holy. Nobody would, we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that, that that kind of worship is charismatic and fanatical. We would fall prostrate in the floor because the king of glory is in the room. See, he's as much here right now 
as he will be when you get to heaven. And if you don't know that, then you don't know him. And the truth is, when you stand before him one day, you're going to think you knew him, and he's going to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. If you would have known me, you would have been worshiping me. If you would have known me, you would have fell prostrate now. If you would have known me, you would have thrown your crowns down now. He, see, we think that Scripture is accolades that are applied to somebody else besides us. When he said, where two or more are gathered, there I am. If you know him, you know he's there. Nobody had to tell you he was there. Because you're acquainted with him. You're in relationship with him. Matter of fact, if you know who he is, then you understand you didn't come to see him in the building. You brought him with you. Oh. Y'all with me today? You see, I, I, I need to talk to you today. It's not about how you choose to worship God. But I'm going to tell you something. Do you really think when you get to heaven and you sing those hymnals that cultivated and brainwashed you into believing that the only time you're really going to worship God is when you get to heaven? Do you understand that yes, heaven is going to be glorious, but the same God we're going to meet in heaven is the same God that lives inside of us, that Christ in us is not a metaphor. It is a reality of a living God that inhabits a people. I want to know what God inhabits you because he's just the same right now as he will be in heaven. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Now, I love the song, but I ain't waiting until I get to heaven to rejoice because I, I, I need y'all to know he was with me this morning when I woke up. He was my song and my dance at 6 a.m. in my hotel room this morning. He was the lily of my valley this week when I had to deal with difficulty that tried to bring me down physically, emotionally, and mentally. That he was my counselor when circumstances confused me. That his word this week was a lamp unto my feet. That when I was uncertain about what the direction to go, he was there. He is a reality of my everyday life. I'm, I, I told you I got to put a caboose on this thing. I don't want to keep you till tonight. <laughs> but watch this. <laughs> She's sinner woman. Uninvited. Runs into this religious man's house. She knows when she walks in the door, she's going to be judged. How many of us have said, well, if I go to the church, the roof might fall in. Boy, if I go to the church, they'll all be looking at me. This woman knew they were going to be looking at her. She knew the roof might fall in. But there was something about the man in the house that made her run through the door uninvited. Knowing I'm about to get condemned. Knowing fingers are about to be pointed at me. People are going to talk about me behind my back. But I don't really care. I'm going after him because he has something to give me that's greater than the finger pointing. My God. It's greater than the judgment. That's the testimony of who Jesus is. What testimony are you presenting? She runs into Simon the Pharisee's house. 
Say she's a sinner. Say it again, she's a sinner. The Bible said she's a sinner. Jesus called her a sinner. Simon called her a sinner. And a sinner breaks out in extravagant worship. I mean, throws her hair down, son. Whoa! Pentecostal. Didn't even have no pins in it. There wasn't no bun in the back of that head, honey. She throwed it down when she came in the door. She's so awed by the presence of God, she's weeping. This is a picture of the church of sinners weeping over the feet of Jesus and religious people are sitting there with their arms folded. We think we know Him, but we don't. If we did, we'd throw our hair down and we would cry until we had saturated His feet with our tears. There wouldn't be no pans needed for foot washing because the weeping over His presence would be enough for our hair to cleanse His feet. And, and listen, here's the deal. She breaks her alabaster box with a year's worth of perfume or, year, or a, a year's salary worth of perfume inside that box. She's a sinner. Can you imagine? Can I, can I preach? Can I just, y'all don't get mad at me. I wonder how we would respond if a whore run through the building this morning. Dressed like a hoochie mama. Let's just be real. This is who this was. She runs in in her harlotry self. She runs in, weeps. We would all be going, huh, God, look at this crazy lady. See, I, I make religious people very mad. I do it well. I'm anointed for it. <laughs> Don't bother me. It usually gets me invited back. I can say things pastors can't say. <laughs> because they're looking at this girl like, who does she think she is? She breaks her alabaster box. Can you imagine she wrote a check for a year's salary? And we fight over 10%. Well, I don't know if I believe in that time or not. That's Old Testament. <laughs> she didn't give 10%. She gave the whole enchilada. And throws it down willfully. Pours it on his feet. And we're debating over where tithing is biblical. Y'all not hearing me. Can I tell you, we get so religious. She's a sinner. You know why she did it? Because she knew that she was about to get healed. She knew that her sins were about to get washed away because of the testimony of who he is. And I'll close with this. The prodigal, he knew he had an inheritance. He was a son, but the son walked away because he thought somehow that the inheritance he had would last a lifetime. But in fact, when we walk outside of the will of God, the inheritances that we experience in the will and the purpose of the Father begin to run out really quickly. And when you begin to walk out of God's will for your life, the pasture ain't greener on the other side. As a matter of fact, you start yoking up with people you should have never yoked up with. People start having influence over your life. You should have never had influence over your life because you got to draw people that are in rebellion like you are. And the problem with it is those people send you to the pig pen. And, and listen... Listen, he's in the pig pen. 
He has gone from eating the best at the, at the Father's table to desiring to fill His belly with the things the pigs eat. It's amazing when you walk away from God how your desires change. And the Bible says that God did not go after him. Uh-oh. Say that with me. The Father didn't go after him. See, nobody likes this part. God loved His Son enough to let the pig pen have its proper effect on Him because if He would have went to Him too soon, He would have never came to Himself and realized God didn't create me to live in a pig pen. God created me to live in the palace. Sometimes you got to know that you don't fit out there anymore. Sometimes you've got to come to the revelation, I don't belong in the pig pen. I'm destined for the palace. Listen, when you've been out of the palace long enough, you realize what you forfeited. But the Bible said when he came to himself, I have a vivid picture of this. When he came to himself, everybody say he came to himself. He had a wake up revelation. That's what's happening right now in the Father's house. Somebody's getting an aha moment. Somebody's getting a revelation. My God, I've walked away from the Lord. I'm coming home today. I'm tired of living in the pig pen, settling to eat what the pigs did eat when I could have been at the master's table. I could have had joy unspeakable full of glory. I could have had the peace that passes all understanding. I could have had the leading of a shepherd who had my back at all times. Woo. So he, in the middle of it, comes to himself. He's covered in pig stench. He's smelling to high heaven. He's got poop running down the side. Y'all know. Let's preach it like it really is. He got, he got pig poo smeared on the side of his face. Mm-hmm. He'd been wallowing with the hogs. He comes to himself back at my father's house. The father sees him a great way off. Everybody say the father ran to him. See, God never took his eyes off you. And the father ran to him, fell on his neck. I love this story. Fell on his neck, kissed him. Everybody say kissed him. He hugged him and kissed him. He's covered in pig stitch. God's kissing him. He says, go, go prepare. Get the fatty calf. Get the shoes. Get the robe. Get the ring. This is my son that was lost and now he's found. Which brings me to the last point. The most dangerous of all the lost people. The lost person that's the older brother. He represented the religious system. The religious system says they know who God is. But when God restored the prodigal, the, the religious brother got mad. Y'all with me? He got angry. He said, how dare him throw a party for my younger brother that went out and wasted our money and wasted God's grace and wasted God's living on harlots and riotous living. It's amazing how we can be so judgmental because we don't have the heart of the Father. And here's what happens when we have the heart of the Father. If we don't get our way, we show it by manipulative actions. Well, I'm just going to withhold my attendance because I don't like the direction that they're going. I'm going to withhold my tithe. I ain't giving because I'm going to let them know I don't agree with their behavior. I don't agree with their decision making. 
Because that's what religion always does. It doesn't have conversations. It has actions of manipulation. Wow. And the father leaves the party and goes to the older brother. Here's the problem we've made at the, at the church. We wrote off the religious people that Jesus is willing to go pursue. The Bible said the heathen are our inheritance. That's not just the drug addicts and the alcoholics. It's also the lost sheep of Israel. It's also the lost religious people that think they're saved that really are not saved. That think they're right with God but in fact they don't know God. Because when God gets to him, when the father gets to this son, and the son says, Father, you never killed me a kid. He didn't say you never killed me a fatty calf. There's a difference between a calf and a kid. A kid is a goat. See, people that don't know God don't understand the extravagance of God. God don't give goats when you could have had a fatty calf. Can I tell you that people that don't know God have a goat mentality and not a cow mentality? Uh-oh, boy, it just went. They have a minimum. They're, they live restricted in, in understanding that God is not restricted. His joy cannot be contained. His peace is unmeasurable. His abundance is good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. His mercy is new every morning. Out of your belly flows rivers. Rivers. There is no lack in God's kingdom. Somebody say he's the God of more than enough. And he asked him, he said, Daddy, you didn't ever kill me, no kid. You've never done this for me. And he said, Son, did you not know that everything I have is yours? People that don't know the Father don't know that all he has is theirs. They live thinking, all oh, that's not for me. All the wealth that He gave Solomon, that's not for us today. All those gifts of the Spirit, that was for the early church. That was for the apostles. It's not for us. They live restricted, not knowing that everything that God has belongs to you and I. That every promise in the Bible is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Stand with me all over the house. I'm done. Boy, I surprised you, didn't I? Some of y'all should buy me a watch. I don't wear them. <laughs> My point is that Jesus came for the lost. He won't leave you there. He loves you too much. You may be a, you may be a sheep this morning that's out there and you know that you're lost and you know you know right now that, listen, you're in danger. The wolves are amongst you. The, the dangers of not knowing where to turn and making bad decisions are a reality in your life right now. And you're thinking, God, I need help. Well, I got news for you. The shepherd's in pursuit of you right now. 
You may be that lost coin and you're lost and you just don't know you're lost. You're lost and you're, you think you're okay because you're in darkness and darkness seems normal but light has come into your life today and you wake up and you're, you're feeling the fact I'm under conviction. Man, i got to get saved today. Man, God's after me. I've been in the darkness too long and the light has come into my life today and I've got to make a decision and you're feeling it right now. Can I tell you, i got a broom in my hand. I'm coming for you. I'm turning the light up bright. Because he don't want to leave you in the darkness. Some of you are the prodigal. You're, you're wallowing in a pig pen that God didn't create you to live in. You're living less than what you could be living right now. But you've got to wake up. I believe I have a whole book written, written in my computer of my testimony. I have never published it. But one day I'm going to release it. It's called From the Pig Pen to the Palace. It's just my testimony. And you know, in that, I elude myself as the prodigal that, that I woke up one day and I looked old Porky right in the eyes. And I told old Porky, I don't want to live here anymore. I'm tired of living among the pigs. And I looked old Porky in the eye and I said, Pigs, I changed my mind. And the moment that I said I changed my mind, the father ran to me in my living room. With a 357 Magnum pointed to my head and a King James Bible in the other hand. And my God ran to me at 1116 Lakeside Drive, Waleska, Georgia. And he ran into my life that night. And that was 30 years ago and I've never been the same. Some of us are the religious guy. Some of us have lived in the Father's house all of our lives and we've never really met the Father. We pray prayers, but we don't know his heart. He's come for you today. And you've got to make a decision. What am I going to do with what God's speaking to my heart right now? I want you to bow your heads with me in this room. I want you to close your eyes and begin to think about what God's saying right now. When you went after the world... You didn't do it with your head bowed and your eyes closed. You did it with your eyes wide open. And you did it without apology. And you did it and your family saw it and everybody knew it and you didn't even care. But why is it we come to church and all of a sudden now we're ashamed that we need Him? See, if you're going to live for God, you can't be ashamed of Him. Because He said, if you're ashamed of me before man, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father. But He said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Call me old school. Call me an old fuddy-duddy. But I still believe in a real altar call. I still believe in people drawing a line in the sand and making a decision. I still believe in people putting their hand to the plow and quit worrying about what people think about you. Because we're raising a new generation of believers and followers of Jesus that are unashamed. And if you start out being ashamed, you'll finish being ashamed. So today, while you're praying and you're resonating on what God has spoke to you in the last 30 or 45 minutes, if you're in this room, you say, Lance, I need the Lord. 
my life's not right with God. I'm not where I need to be today with the Lord. And I've got to do something about it. And I really don't care what other people think about it. I just know today God spoke to me and I'm convicted and I've got to make it right. If that's you, while people all over this building are praying intercessors, I need your help right now. I need those of you in this room that are warriors to start praying right now because there's a war. There's a war going on right now in this room. But I'm telling you, God is going to win. If you're in this room right now and you need Jesus in your life and you need to get your heart right with God, if you're a prodigal that needs to come home, an older brother that needs to break out of religion, if you're a lost coin that needs to be found or a sheep that needs to be on the shepherd's shoulders at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise it high. I want you to be bold. And I want you to do it right now. Are you ready all over this room? One, two, three. Raise them up. 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 Don't stop praying, church. Don't stop praying. We're not done. God ain't done. God ain't done. I want every person that raised your hand. When I counted three, I want you to open your eyes right now. Just you. Just you. I want you to look at me right now. I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me right now. I want you to look at me. I'm going to ask you to do something else. Listen, you ran for the devil and you ran for the world and you ran for religion and you ran for everything. Today, I'm going to ask you to do something different. I'm going to ask you to run for Jesus. I'm going to ask you to break the chains. I'm going to ask you to leave the past behind you. I'm going to ask you to break off from all the stuff in your life. And I'm going to ask you to come after Jesus with all of your heart. If you raise your hand at the count of three, I want you to get out from behind your seat. And I want you as quickly as you can to meet me in this altar. Run if you have to run. Sprint if you have to sprint. But I need you to come. One, two, three. Come on. Come on right now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. The devil's lost today. Your life is changing today. all over the building come on there's still others you need to come you need to come come on if it took me begging you I would beg you come taste that the Lord is good taste that he is good Jesus' name. 